So I want to really stay true and focused on the theme for today. And it's a, it's a simple theme, but it's, not, it's easy to understand, and it's very hard to live out of. Um, I, I began to, at one point during home group, I broke down a little bit. Because I've been in active ministry, most of the time full-time ministry, for about 40 years now. And I've been blessed to be a part of many communities and home groups and men's groups and fellowships. But it's a gift, I believe, from God to me in this season of life to be with a community of people who are so genuinely hungry for God, who are so genuinely wanting to live their daily life in the power and the presence of God. You, it's, it's unique, it's rare to see a community of people so open to let God continue to help them grow and move in their lives. And, and, and it's a gift that we have for each other. And the theme for today uh, is that it is God at work in you. It is not you at work in you. It's not other people trying to help you become who you're supposed to be. The kingdom isn't even about you becoming the best you you can possibly be because then you're the center focus of that. The reality is God had an amazing, incomprehensible plan to populate the world with sons and daughters, to allow the love that existed between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to take over the entire earth and bring his kingdom here on earth. And for people to be able to know that there's a father that loves them with an unconditional, perfect, permanent love that can empower their lives and bring destiny and influence into all of our lives. A father with such a loving heart, but sin separated us from him. So, of course, he sent his son to forgive all of the sin, to open the door again, to experience sonship. And then, to make the plan even more amazing, he sent his spirit, after his son's obedience and death and resurrection, the very life that resurrected Jesus from the grave, he sent on earth to live inside of you and me. It's God at work in us, we have the mind of Christ, the power and the presence of God residing, abiding right inside of all of us. And so we're going to take a walk through a passage. And I've attempted this a number of different ways. And I think maybe I've landed on something I really uh, think will work. So our, our passage today is actually going to be Philippians 2, 3 through 13. And by the way, um, Jeff is probably going to try to take credit for this message because he's mentioned this in the last week or two, I think twice. And yes, I do love your input in my life, but I hit this in my daily reading. So I don't know what the deal is if you and I are like plowing through the Bible in the same sections or not, but I read this and it just blew up inside of me. But the main focus of this verse is going to be the end, chapter 13, so I want to read that first. For it is God who works, who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So my question today is, who are you relying on? Is it God at work in you? Or is it you at work in you? If you're the one trying to heal yourself, grow yourself, save yourself, there's a word for that. That's humanism. 
That's human spirit trying to work everything out. Or it's self-improvement. And if you think about the Tower of Babel, they came together, they were living out of the potential God had created in them, and when God saw them in unity coming together as a group of people, he went, there's nothing they can't do. And so they wanted to build a tower to bring glory to themselves. Look at the achievement, look at the accomplishment that we can do. And the problem with that focus, if your focus is just you, then you get all the glory. And you're not acknowledging the one who gave you that power and that ability to work together. Amen? So God, what did he do? He had to destroy that work, scatter people, so that they wouldn't try to save themselves try to be the center of their own universes. So is it God at work in you or is it you? There's another aspect of this. Is it God at work in you or is it others at work in you? Are you trying to accomplish approval and acceptance from other people? Are you seeking other people's appreciation? That's nothing more than really fear of man. Are you looking for an individual other than Jesus? to give you the secrets and the keys of life. If your focus begins to rely either on other people or other people's opinions, again, you've moved out from under understanding that it's God at work in you. Amen? And it's, it can be tricky. And by the way, you know, I came even this morning and I was burdened. I was heavy inside. I was just like, God, I just, why do, why do I get in this place? Why do I get self-focused why do i think it's me that has to work things out why do i think it's me that has to seek a message and i'm going to get more into what set me free from that this morning and i hope for some of you it'll be able to set you free as well so we're going to go back and start out with the beginning of this passage in philippians 2 verse 3. boy these oh by the way read this whole passage please there are so many themes this is so powerful and transformational i'm only going to be able to hit the themes that God was really striking me with. But this passage is incredible. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. You know, we're raised in a culture that believes you've got to take care of yourself before you can take care of anyone else. I'm not going to be good for anyone else till I'm good for myself. You know, and again, you become the center of your own universe. And anybody ever come to the end of that um, hamster wheel of trying to just be happy enough? And how many of us are so overwhelmed with our daily lives and our busyness and our schedules and our problems and, that we don't have much left over for anyone else? And by the way, the enemy would love to keep you on that hamster wheel. But the minute you begin to say, wait, it's God at work in me. It's God empowering me. I want to have something to contribute to benefit, to strengthen another. And what do you think happens? You open the windows of heaven, the very doors of grace, for the empowerment that you need for your own life because you're not the center focus. You've, you've shifted your focus. But this verse is, is humbling, isn't it? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. I thought about part of Miko's message, but our, our church is called Abiding Place. And John 15 is very, very clear. Without Jesus, we cannot produce fruit. Zero. That is offensive. And so 
John 15, 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That in this verse is what it's talking about, what it says, but with humility of mind. It takes humility to realize, to accomplish the eternal purposes of God, all of your brilliance, all of your effort, all of your striving, all of your willpower, all of your serving, <clears throat> if it's not anchored in him, if it's not him at work in you, it's you at work doing all those things. And from that, you can do some really good things. No! For the kingdom, you can do actually nothing. Sorry! Now, is that frustrating? And I, this verse, I'm going to talk about it a little bit later, I haven't believed this verse. I've thought, well, but God, come on, I can do things. I've got some abilities. Come on, you gave me gifts. You gave me talent. People like me when I make good jokes, right? And, and so then I change. I shift gears and I start trying to do things rather than submitting myself to and coming under. Wait, it's you doing these things, God. I begin to think it's me. And by the way, the minute I shift and I begin to think it's me, it becomes my responsibility. It becomes my burden. I begin to feel heavy. I begin to get worn out. I'm starting to go down the road of burnout when it's me at work in me trying to do his purposes. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah. Thank you. Only Lori, but you know, at least I... Okay, thank you. Oh, and Robin. Thank you, guys. So verse 4 moves on in this passage, and it says, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. By the way, do you have to look out for your own personal interests? It's responsible. It's reasonable. It doesn't say don't look out for your personal interests. What does it say? Do not merely, don't only, don't be that self-focused, don't only or merely look for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Even though Jesus existed with the Father before the foundations of the world, he was filled with heavenly divine glory, which, when he came to earth, he set that glory aside, and he became like you and me. He was fully God, but he was also fully human in the same way we are. And it says it was not a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant. <clears throat> and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself and became a servant. You know, Lori uh, at home group made a startling statement. I don't think I ever heard it put this way, but she finally said that now when she gets up in the morning, she starts getting eager, looking forward to going out and being a taxi driver for Uber, which is a very humble job. Taxi drivers are not respected people in many cultures, but the opportunity to serve to get someone safely where they're going, to serve again and again, to have divine encounters, to meet Paul, Polly over there, to have these times where God can show up in her car. It's amazing. I, positioning yourself to not worry about just your personal interests, but like, where is this other person today? How can I lift them up today? 
But even more, and the focus of this, Father, what are you doing in this moment right now? Where are you at work in me in this situation? It's a major shift, isn't it? And it's one I believe many of us go in and out of, back and forth. And I think we're getting called to a higher place. I believe we are moving toward a whole different way of walking as God's people, where as we move into that mindset of, God, you're with me, you're working in me, you're working through me, and Lord, I want to see you do greater and greater things. I want to do the things Jesus did, and what else? And greater. Oh, that's so egotistical. Yeah, if it's you doing it. It's not egotistical if it's him doing it, which is the whole point. But having that put upon us of having to be a servant of all. And Jesus so laid down his life that how many of you, when raising your kids or in other situations, when you have to give up what you want for the sake of... Isn't it like a death experience? Well, my desires... My abilities, they're all dying right now. And I'm going to submit to what God is doing in me and in this situation. That was the very, very living heartbeat of Jesus as he acted. And so I think about Psalms 51:17 when I think about this whole concept of emptying yourself. And it says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. I have wrestled for years with this verse. And do you know why? How many of you enjoy brokenness? Does confetti fall from the sky? Do you, do you want to have like a balloon really? Oh, I'm broken. You know, I'm contrite. I'm powerless. Oh, this is glorious, God. I'm so weak. To the human spirit, that does not feel good. I've shared this before, but it's the closest most powerful illustration I personally have. When Lori and I got off, laid off from a church we were at for 25 years, our lives were in major transition. We didn't know what was going to happen, where things were going to go. We, I don't know if we were ever that dependent, that reliant on God at that point in our lives. And so we go to the mothership. We go to the pastor's conference in Toronto yet again, because it was that time of year. And uh, we stayed with one of the pastors there in Toronto, a man named Faustin. And one day we were driving to the church and I'm talking to Faustin about, wow, we're going through this transition and, you know, I was a pastor and now, you know, we're laid off. And I said, you know, Faustin, I don't think there's been a time in my life where I have ever felt so small and so weak in my life. And yet, I don't think there's ever been a time where God felt so big and so strong. And Faustin said the most amazing thing. He said, yeah, that's true. That's the way it works. And he goes, but it doesn't feel good in the flesh, does it? And he, he, it was so comforting. It was so reassuring. But I don't want my flesh in the driver's seat. I don't want my ego, my reputation, other people's opinions of me. I don't want that to control whether I can embrace the fact that aside from Jesus, I can do nothing. There's a brokenness, and, and many people reject you when you're broken, by the way. You have a failure, you have a divorce, you have a bankruptcy, you have, you know, some medical problem in your life. Well, he must have hidden sin. You know, help, you know godly, healthy people don't get sick. You know, and, and so people will despise you. People want to hang around successful, you know, people as human understanding sees it. 
Do you know who the most successful people are in the world? The ones who are broken enough to let Jesus come in and be their strength. The one who know how to, when God convicts you of something that's contrary to his life and his ways, you know how to turn your heart to him and, and go state's evidence. You're right, God. Whatever you show me, my weakness, my faults, I've never been in a season where God has spoken so, at times, severely to me. And I honestly, I'm coming to finally a point in my life, 63 years old, man, why, what, why didn't I have this in my 40s? Where God can rebuke me, and a part of me is actually like, oh, thank you. You just revealed a weakness in me, and you have something better. I'm not trapped in being me. I'm sick of being me. Right? It's a beautiful, freeing place. And then to go, whoa, okay, God, you just showed what a geek I still am. You know, it's you at work in me. What do you want to do? How do I respond to this? Wow. It's, I, it's never going to stop. I, I'm sorry. I've been waiting to arrive and be a fully mature Christian pastor, example and man that you could all love and respect. And I realized, eh, I'm not waiting to arrive into perfection in this life. But God is going to continue to be working in me and continuing to make me be more like Jesus. And you either embrace the process or you fight it. Verse 9. For this reason also, the reason of Jesus emptying himself of his own life, his own glory, and taking on the form of a servant and being willing to be obedient to what God was doing in his life, even to the point of death on a cross, for this reason, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Whoa. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you also have obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is interesting. Is now in the middle of this packet, uh, pa passage, everything he's talked about, did the focus just shift and say, okay now, it's up to you. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. If you're a performance person, if you're still in the old covenant, if you're living by a love of the law, that is what you hear. Your salvation, it's on you now to work this sucker out. Okay, I'll try harder. Perform, perform. You've drawn the exact opposite conclusion. And it's revealed partly by the words that he uses. With fear. Fear of punishment? That's law. Fear of embarrassment? Fear of shame? That's flesh. Fear of not being like God. Fear of not walking in his love. Fear of not knowing the relationship. Not knowing the power of him working in my life. We're supposed to have a reverence. That's the fear it's talking about. Have reverence toward God and realize without him you can't do anything. But he is with you continually. And you can do everything that he calls you to do. Every word he speaks over your life is already empowered to fulfill itself. Have fear that God is that powerful that you want to do what he wants and not what you want. Does that make sense? And then what's the trembling? 
Oh, but God, I'm weak. Ah, good conclusion. I know it doesn't feel good, but that is the open door for letting him do that work, having that attitude. So I ask you this question, and we all do this at times. When are you using soulish power for your own salvation? When are you tapping into the gifts, the abilities that God has given you to try to accomplish his purposes? So you know your soul is made up of your mind, your emotions, and your will. And I want to make a point here. God is not afraid of intellect. He's not afraid of science. In fact, God is the master of them all. And by the way, the Holy Spirit who he sent to live inside of you, he is the greatest genius of them all. There's nothing in science or intellect that God is afraid of. He's the master of them all. It becomes a problem when you use your intellect to try, you rely on your intellect to lead your relationship with God. You trust your intellect more than God's voice. And when you begin to rely on your intellect, you're no longer relying on him. And that's what this passage is talking about. And what about your emotions? When you begin to trust your emotions, well, my emotions, I've got to be true to myself. I've got to say how I feel. When, you're, when you begin to rely on your emotions more than God, you now have gotten into trouble territory. And it works equally with your will. The minute you think, I'm going to try harder, I'm more determined, I'm never going to, I'm, I've heard it, I believe this, and now I'm never going to change my mind about this one area. Now you're relying on your willpower to walk out a commitment that you think you've made with God instead of ultimately learning how to know it's God at work in you. That's when your soul begins to try to do the work itself. I can't explain it much better than that. It, is this even relatable? Because I do it sometimes several times a day. I begin to rely more on the way I think. I rely more on what it is I'm feeling. I begin to rely on just, no one's going to take me off of this. I loved Alyssa's message a while ago about making a decision and you're committed to something, but you always have to be willing to, what's the word? Pivot. If you're not willing to let God bring new information into your life and have to submit to him, then you're now basking in your own willpower because you're unwilling to change when you're called to. What's that? You're in the driver's seat all over again. So, it, that, all of this is built to that final verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it made me think about the first century church, which is part of the reason I shared Acts 2.42 and what the disciples did. But you know what the power, the engine of what drove the first century church is, in my opinion, and there are many other opinions out there, but I love Acts 14.3. And this is Paul and Barnabas. And it says, Therefore they spent a long time there, speaking boldly, with reliance upon the Lord, reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. They were done by their hands, but it's because they were declaring the gospel, the goodness of God. But how were they doing it? With Paul's wisdom and persuasion and all of his education? With Paul's intellect? No. Paul and Barnabas were totally reliant. Lord, we're dependent on you. Without you, I can, we can do nothing. 
But the minute we begin to trust, to act upon, to rely upon you, we are overcomers and all things are possible. And by the way, preceding that passage, Acts 3, or 13.52, I love this. It says the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. When your heart is in a place where you're serious, Lord, I'm going to rely on you, I'm going to trust in you, I'm going to step out on your word, I'm going to step out on what you're doing. The power of the Holy Spirit is now released to confirm that decision that you've made to trust him, and then others realize, wow, I'm not having an encounter with Jeff or Lori or Gary or uh, Alyssa, I'm not having an encounter with a person because they have my best interest at heart, they are loving me the way Jesus loved me, and Jesus is able to touch that person's life through that channel. Does that make sense? So, I'm obsessed with this. I, you, as you know, I want more and more Holy Spirit encounters in my life every day, and I'm starting to see it more. We're seeing more breakthroughs in our Uber and Lyft driving than we've ever seen. We're, oh, just having wonderful times, but I'm not satisfied. I, I, Robin has infected me. That woman over there is so hungry for God. It's like, really? Well, if she doesn't explode, she's going to be amazing. But I, I know what God said, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So you're blessed. And by the way, you're going to get the very craving for that intimacy with God as you learn to trust and rely upon him. So I want to read a journaling entry from this morning before I wrote this message. And uh, I really encourage you, be in the word, but be listening for his word. I love the way Miko puts it. Doesn't he say, well, he sent you a letter. So, you know, but he also will give you a phone call. And so is that the, the quote? It's something like that. You're close enough. So, uh, so for me, the journaling is kind of, okay, Lord, I, now I've been reading your word, but I, now I want to hear you know, what you're saying about all of this. So here's what I wrote as part of my journal entry. Only Lori gets to hear the, the, the rest of it. <clears throat> I was letting him know the burden that I was carrying. And he said, let me lift the weight off of you. All you need to do is ask. You still think it is by your great effort that the things I want for you will happen. So you are stuck in that cycle. It is the mystery of resting in me, me at work in you, to lead and guide, to lift and carry. I am your savior in every way. That is why brokenness is the key. You do not really understand that without me, you can do nothing. Bam! Thanks, God. I told you, he speaks severely. I don't really believe. I've, every time I start to act like it's my effort, it's my diligence, it's my perseverance, when I'm the central focus instead of God, you're at work in me, giving me perseverance and diligence. Do you, do you see? Then, and I get caught in that cycle, and I want that cycle broken over my life. And... Uh, what he showed me as I was praying about how to even end this message, this just struck me so hard. It all came together at the last moment. It is time for all of us to quit striving and performing. It is time to start relying upon and resting in his work in us. He is faithful 
to bring to completion that good work he's continually doing right now in your heart. And so you can trust him in that. But the part that really struck me, and this is the heart of the message, the difference between relying on the Lord like the apostles did and recognizing it's him at work in you, you either decide you have to um, obey the law, right? If I obey the law, then my life is going to be able to be blessed and God's going to get more glory. And you either have that mindset working out of an old covenant mindset or you realize that you need to walk in obedience to the work and the love that God is already doing inside of you. They both look like obedience, but one, you're obeying rules and principles and doctrine and something impersonal you don't need a relationship with Jesus for. You know, living out of the law and living out of that place of self-effort and striving will kill you. Is that right? Living out of that place where your hearts cry as, Lord, it's you working in me. You've already given me everything I need to become more and more like you. And I want to obey to respond to the love and the work that you're already doing in my heart. And I've watched Miko over these last 12 years. You have no idea, many of you, if you haven't known him long, you have no idea how much that guy has grown. And I'll tell you, in my opinion, the key, the secret to his success is he relies on the Lord. He hears a word from the Lord and he goes after it. He goes, okay, if that's what you're emphasizing right now. And by the way, I have struggled. I've gone after tangents. Lord, I want you to fix this area in my life. You're playing Lord. You're picking the areas you want God to do. You're telling God what he spoke. And I do it. I still have, and it's okay to let your petition be known, but to ultimately surrender and just say, God, you're at work. You're the one who knows what you're doing. You're the one who knows in this moment what's best for my soul. I trust you. I rest in you. But the minute you cooperate with that awareness that it's him at work in you, you unleash the very power of the Spirit to accomplish the work of changing your mind, changing your heart, conforming your will. Come on. That is a very encouraging message because he's the focus of it and not us. So... I don't know about you. If, you. if you haven't learned to trust the work that he's doing in you and you're trying to either make it happen or part, we co-labor with him, but it's an even response to what we're sensing he's doing. We don't co-labor in the sense that we're creating the, the discipleship plan for our own lives. He's got a perfect one. And the weird part is it's incredibly, completely different for each person in this room. Gary, you don't know how to save me. And I love you. And Robin, your example is incredible to me, but you don't have the discipleship plan for my life. Only Jesus knows what area he wants to work on and what he's going to empower, and there's freedom. And that's why it says his burden is light and his yoke is easy because he's the one that's come alongside of us in that yoke to help us carry that weight. And I'm sick and tired of being burnt out and exhausted by carrying weight and burdens that I'm not supposed to carry. Amen? Amen. So, if you want, if you want to agree with me, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. God, I believe, put this on my heart for my own personal growth. But if you want to get set free from any area where you have been striving, performing, have false responsibility, or you think it's you in the driver's seat of accomplishing God's purpose in your life, if you operate more out of an old, mind, old covenant mindset of, I have to obey the law, instead of I need a relationship with the lawgiver, then go ahead and just stand. 
And if you're willing to let God give you a greater revelation of what it means to know it's at Him at work in you and how to rely upon that work, then just stand with me as that act, that prophetic act of contrition even. So Father, I just thank you for the reality that you're our Savior. And one day every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess in heaven, on earth, and below the earth. All are going to see you, Jesus, for your perfect love for who you really are. And it's you, we've given our lives to you to be at work in us, to empower us to become every day more like you. And we try to do it sometimes in our own strength. Forgive us for our foolishness of self-effort, of selfishness, of performance and striving. Break all of those curses off of each person in this room. Break those curses off of me. I'm sick and tired of shame. I'm sick and tired of being disappointed. And Lord Jesus, you took all of that upon yourself on the cross. And so help me focus on the work that you're doing and not the work that I want to do. Help me learn to rely. What does it mean to rely on you and not my own soulish power? So set us free that we can be a people who accomplish the works that you did and even greater and to do them not as a burned out burdened people but like the disciples they did all the things they did with joy and they did those things in the power of your spirit we thank you for sending your spirit to make that possible and a reality for each and every one of us i pray this in jesus name amen amen that's a good word i like i'll take that one That's for me and it's for you. God bless you all. Have a wonderful Sunday. Lori, what? Prayer? Oh, oh, yeah, okay. I'll be available for prayer up front if you want to agree for something in particular that you'd like to see the Lord at work in your life and rely on him for it. I'll hang around as long as people want prayer. God bless you.